0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Emancipate Your Mind podcast. This week, I have my husband and licensed professional counselor, Kevin Hales, on the podcast with me. We're going to be talking about a question that has actually come up over the past several weeks as we've been talking about narcissistic personality disorder, the several different kinds of narcissism that we often see in high-demand religion, and we've been talking about codependency with some of this as well. And there are a couple of you that have reached out and said, um, you know, I've tried not to be codependent. I'm trying to heal that part of myself, but I'm feeling really lonely and I feel really disconnected. And sometimes when that happens, it's because we've gone from one far end of the spectrum, which is codependency. To the other far end of the spectrum, which is like extreme independence, and we're going to talk about that whole spectrum and where we're trying to land in the middle, which is interdependence. So I brought in Kevin because Kevin talks about interdependence a lot in his work with couples. Um, He deals with relationships on a daily basis in his work, in his office, and I wanted his perspective on this. So welcome to the podcast again, Kevin.
1: Thank you. Good to be here.
0: Yeah. It's really nice because you live here, so I oh, you know it makes interviewing you very easy. Um, we're just going to have a discussion today. We're going to talk about these different ideas. And the main thing that I want you all to get from this is an understanding of what interdependence is and how you can begin to work towards this in your relationships, whether it's a long established relationship or whether you're creating brand new relationships. So... To get started, let's go ahead and just kind of talk about the difference between codependence, extreme independence, and like what interdependence actually is.
1: So, before we actually talk about that, I think what I'll explain is where my approach to this comes from, um, you know, leaving a cult you are trained and brainwashed to believe that everything is black and white. Mm. And in Mormonism, there's a a hymn that we sing called choose the right, you know, and there's this idea that there's a right and a wrong decision in everything that we do. And I always need to be choosing the right, even to the extent where you, you know, I, I don't know how many Mormons do it anymore, but... But you, you know, as a as a small child in primary, you would receive this little ring that had the letters CTR on it. Choose the right. And I even went so far as to wear two CTR rings for, gosh, I don't know, 10, 15 years of my life. I don't even remember how many years I wore those, but um, I got one on my mission in Brazil and and it was uh you know, conserva a jota. You know, which is CTR in 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 uh, Portuguese. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I wore Portuguese and a and an English one uh, uh, for for many many years. But anyways, the point is, there's this idea that you know, so many things in life are black and whiter that they should be, mm-hmm. um, and leaving that mindset caused me to look at things and pretty much i would say everything nowadays on a spectrum yeah not everything in fact i would say there's very few things that can be put in a very binary right or wrong yes or no uh way you know just about everything can be looked at on a spectrum and why that's important is because when we understand human behavior Um, what we, we, what we see is this tendency to gravitate towards extremes. Now there's, I try not to use the words always never, you know, a whole lot, but I feel pretty comfortable saying it's always dangerous to go to extremes, Whatever that may be, you know, it's healthy to drink water, but if we drink too much water, we'll kill ourselves. If you know, it's, it's healthy to exercise, but you can overexercise, it's, it's, it's good to eat, but you can overeat, or undereat, or, you know, whatever, whatever topic or idea, it can be put on a spectrum. And 99% of the time, it's going to be dangerous to go to one of those extremes. Mm-hmm. And so, so that's part of where this comes from for me, right? Is I've tried to look at so many different things on a spectrum, and that word "codependent," right, is pretty much a bad word in most people's minds.
0: Especially right now, I feel like in society right now, codependency Correct. is like everywhere, and yeah, it's I don't
1: it, it's seen as this negative, bad thing. But guess what? You know, for any of us who come from a very religious upbringing. Guess what also is a bad word in our our mind? It's also the word selfish, mm-hmm. right? And that's unfortunate because um that's something you hear a lot, not just in religion, but outside of religion, that the pinnacle, the ideal is that we should not be selfish. We should be what? Selfless. Selfless. And so there we are on another Which spectrum. it
0: literally means not having a self. Exactly. And thinking about it. Yeah.
1: Right. it's 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 it's, it's really it should be uncomfortable and disturbing if you think about that on the extreme, but that's what most of us have been raised to believe and, and idolize Mm -hmm. is this idea of not having a self of only living for others and only serving others and, and not caring for yourself, not, you know, uh, uh, ultimately taking care of yourself, not being selfish. Guess what? It's okay to be selfish. Now, now, on that extreme of selfishness, 99% of the property, you know, population are going to agree, oh, that's not good. That's that's bad, that's healthy. But how many people are gonna agree that being on the extreme end of selflessness is not healthy? You know, very mm-hmm. few.
0: Yeah. So that's a whole like continuum, a whole spectrum with selfishness at one end and selflessness mm-hmm. at the other end. Mm-hmm. And being too far on either extreme is it can be dangerous. Right. Yeah.
1: And and I believe I think where a lot of that originates is is, you know, um in our brain uh, as I know you've talked about in a lot in your podcast is <clears throat> um we have that lizard reptilian part of the brain and its main concern is safety. Its yeah. main concern is protection and you know the 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 main responses we experience in that part of the brain is fight or flight. And and if you think about it, those are very, those are two extremes of one continuum as well. On the one end you've got fight, you know, and on the other end you've got flight. And guess what? There can be a happy medium. And so that's that's what I'm always looking for. What is the happy medium here? And and that's hard, uh, because number one, a happy medium uh is usually going to be different for everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, there is no You know universal rule or law about uh how selfish or selfless i should be there's no universal law about how you know codependent or independent i should be and and that's going to be different for all of us individually and uh relationally and so that's obviously what we're going to be talking about here is that spectrum that continuum of on the far extreme we've got codependence and on the other extreme, we've got
0: extreme independence. Extreme
1: independence is yeah. is really the best way to describe it? Because when we just say independence, again, that's that's something most people, uh, and I would say most people from a Western society, can relate to. There's a lot of Eastern cultures and Arabic cultures and and other parts of the you know world that. Uh, don't value independence as much as we do in a lot of Western cultures. And so America and, you know, a lot of Europe and so forth, you know, you're going to, that idea of being independent is is greatly valued and encouraged, right? And so you see a lot of parental practice and a lot of, you know, just in the culture of, of you know, encouraging people to be
0: independent.
1: independent. And but, but
0: taken to an extreme, it not can be good, dangerous, not, good, yeah.
1: not healthy. And 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 that's what I think you see a lot of people doing, particularly in Western cultures, because that is encouraged. Yeah. But on the opposite end of the spectrum, those other cultures that don't encourage independence, we could probably argue they rely a little too much on the codependent side of things. They a lot of people don't have an identity. They don't, you know, know who they are as a person because it's so tied up in the family and on, you know, bringing honor to the family and not embarrassing the family and 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 I think um, again, a lot of that probably has its roots in uh, tribalism and how once upon a time that was the only way to survive was to stick together, stick with your tribe, stick with your family. But again, a lot of those harken back to the very stark binary black and white fight or flight, you know, responses that we feel in our brains. And if we're following Maslow's hierarchy of needs, once those basic needs in our life are met, we consistently have food and shelter and
0: And we're safe and, and
1: we're safe. If, if, if those are being met, then that allows us to move up the pyramid. It allows us to focus and think about other things.
0: So basically what you're saying is because we have become very good at getting our needs met Mm -hmm. for the most part, because Mm -hmm. there are still people who are food insecure, who are shelter insecure, right? But as a society, for the most part, we have enough food, we have enough shelter, (laughs) we um, are generally safer, Mm -hmm. we're we're not being eaten by predators on a daily basis, Mm -hmm. um, or hunted down by predators on a daily basis, and so because of that, we've been able to start the process of like working through like being loved and Mm -hmm. belonging Mm -hmm. and on up that pyramid towards self-actualization.
1: Right. Right. And so, so it's kind of a double-edged sword, right? On the one hand, it's, it's wonderful. It's good news to celebrate and, and applaud that we, you know, generally speaking, not everyone, of course, but generally speaking, most of us have those basic needs met. And therefore it's a double-edged sword because it allows us to focus on other things, but that can also be hard and uncomfortable because sometimes I think we are stuck in just having those basic needs met. So I can't tell you how many how many times I see in my my room where the man who's the traditional provider uh, has been raised to believe that that is the man's primary job is to provide, yeah. and so when that man is providing. A house and food and those basic things, they're genuinely shocked and surprised when their spouse says, Hey, I don't feel emotionally connected to you. And they say, what the hell are you talking about? You know, it's Mm -hmm. like, I I don't even know what you mean.
0: I'm providing for your needs. I'm doing my part. Right. You have food, right. You have shelter. Look at this nice house. Right. And and,
1: and you'll hear a lot of uh, comments along those lines of, of basically it comes across, of course, as emotionally dismissive and minimizing towards... You know, what that person is trying to, you know, tell their spouse, but um, but in their mind, they feel like they're doing their job.
0: They're meeting needs.
1: Right. I'm 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 providing you these things. What do you have to complain about? You know, mm-hmm. and then that's where comparative suffering comes in because then people are looking outside themselves and They see other people who have less than them. And so it's easy to go, well, I shouldn't be complaining or I I shouldn't be whining about this, or I shouldn't want this, or I shouldn't need this. But this is a very natural part of evolving as humans is that as we have those basic needs met, it allows us to focus and think about and worry about those other...
0: those deeper connections. Yeah. Once we know that we're safe. We have enough to eat. We have shelter over right. our heads. Like our needs are met. Our survival needs are met. Right. Then we move into that mammalian part of our brain where we have connection needs. Yeah. And then up into the higher brain, once those are met into self-actualization and yeah. the ability to like understand ourselves better.
1: Right. Yeah. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, basically. In fact, it's funny because I've, as you know, I, I like to watch lots of movies and there's a, there's a common plot theme that you see in a lot of movies where um, a husband and a wife uh you know are they, they start off in the movie divorced or
0: on the brink of on divorce. the brink of
1: divorce and their relationship obviously isn't doing well and throughout the course of the movie there's some catastrophic tragic thing that happens you know maybe it's a maybe it's an end of the world apocalyptic film and suddenly they they come together you know a, a, as a, as a couple and as a family again to survive or or there's another one where they were in a um some foreign town, you know, somewhere, you know, across the world. And, and I think the town like broke into civil war or, or, you know, something violent uprising or something like that. And
0: they needed to like do that tribal thing to survive, have each other's back.
1: But, but therein lies the problem, right? Because the movie always ends on that happy note of, Oh, they came back together and they're a happy couple again. But I guarantee you once they have gotten back into that safe, calm environment again where their basic needs are being met those same relational problems are going to pop up again and they're not going to be a good match unless they can work through that again uh, together and so that's it's just it's just interesting i've been noticing that a lot i'm like wait a second this is that that common theme where they always come together and 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 it makes sense because most couples you know nowadays most couples when they divorce They're not divorcing because my spouse doesn't provide for me. They're divorcing because I'm not emotionally connected to you and you don't empathize with me and you don't hear me and you're not understanding. It's, it's these higher level needs that aren't being met. Yeah. And that's why they're getting divorced. Not because you beat me and, and, you know, don't
0: Don't provide and we're starving and yeah. Yeah.
1: N- not not to say that obviously doesn't happen still. Uh, you know, that's the unfortunate reality is that there's always going to be those exceptions. There's always, always going to be those situations where, you know, that abuse is happening. And so I don't feel safe or you give me this, you know, tiny allowance and I can barely buy enough groceries to feed ourselves and the kids. But
0: so what I'm hearing you say is like we crave connection because our basic needs are met. Right. and. I'm almost hearing like a spectrum here. Like we talked about at the beginning of there is a part of us that is dependent on one another. We're wired to connect as they say, right. We're wired to connect because that has been part of our survival mechanism. And it's, it's a need for us. Like even up on those, that hierarchy of needs, there's tribalism at the bottom. Cause that helps us like eat and protect ourselves. And, but then up above that is the love and belonging piece. And that emotional security that also comes from being connected to other people.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But then there's an independence piece as well of being an individual in a tribe. And once those basic food, shelter, safety needs are met, it's like our nervous system calms down to the point where we can like begin to look at who am I? Those more existential questions. Who am I? What do I value? What do I believe? What's the meaning of my life?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And we're looking for a balance between those two is that what i'm hearing
1: yeah yeah because at the end of the day yeah you'll 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 hear that that phrase we're wired to connect and that's uh i think that's probably true on a on a basic level uh but again we can put that on a spectrum and say well how much do we you know how much do we desire that need to connect with other people and of course mm-hmm. you're going to get people all over that spectrum you're going to You're going to get some people who are really needy and they want, you know, to constantly be by your side and, you know, and so forth. And then you're going to have other people who are very standoffish and, and you know, don't really desire much human connection at all. And, of course, the big question is, well, why? You know, why why does that happen? Um, A lot of that I'm sure we can chalk up to trauma and and painful events that we've gone through in our life, you know, one of my new couples that I'm meeting with right now in our very first session, you know, she she you know, before we even really jump into much of anything, she says people are stupid, you know, and I'm like, okay, interesting. Tell me why you think people are stupid, you know, and and give her a chance to to voice that and tell me why she thinks people are stupid because to just make a a a a statement like that says a lot you know and of course as we've met and gotten into more of the details there's been incident after incident after incident of people who have betrayed her or let her down or hurt her and so on and so forth now some of that of course is on the people who have done that to her you know they obviously have a part to play in that but some of that of course is just her and i i would argue she she's probably had Way too high of expectations about about people and their ability to show up and and you know be kind and nice and respectful,
0: or maybe um, a lack of boundaries that have allowed people. Right, uh, there's a lot of things that we have, like we create kind of the same patterns that we grew up with sometimes mm-hmm. because they feel <clears throat> safe even mm-hmm. in their unsafety, if that makes sense. They feel familiar, mm-hmm. I guess right. I should say.
1: Right, and- probably. I mean that that's what she would have to be honest and introspective with herself about um i can't tell her what all those things are because only she knows what's going on inside her head Mm -hmm. so but but yeah that's that's uh you know going back to the spectrum this continuum of you know um dependency i guess we would call it on one extreme you've got codependency and that extreme independence on the other end and and we can argue that neither of those is is very healthy. Um, and so the ideal, the happy medium is that, uh, what we would call interdependence. And that's basically what we're going to talk about. Right.
0: Yeah. So we're looking for a balance between having an individual identity and a balance between being connected. And like you said, it's going to be different for every person and for every relationship.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so, you know, in our relationship, what we're doing is like, I like how you talk to your couples about interdependence being two individual people creating like a third entity together. Can you talk about that for a minute? Because I feel like that was really helpful in helping me understand interdependence.
1: Yeah, yeah. Basically, the the way I like to think of it is each of us can and should be an individual, each of us can and should be content and happy and fulfilled and, and generally healthy by ourselves as human beings. And the reason I say that is because, uh, like I I heard someone put it this way one time, they said, in a healthy, happy relationship, one plus one equals three. And basically what that means is because you'll, you'll hear studies, you'll hear research that says people live longer when they're married, Mm -hmm. they're happier when they're married and so on and so forth. And so, so there's this idea that, oh, well, marriage is the answer and you have to be married in order to be happy in order to live longer. Not true. This isn't about marriage. This is about being in a healthy relationship with yourself and then with other people and that could be marriage, but it could also just be a, you know, long-term relationship with, with someone. Uh, or a
0: long-term friendship.
1: Or a long-term friendship. Or, or if you're more towards the, you know, extreme end of independence and, and you know, you just don't want to be in a relationship, there's, I'm sure there's evidence to show that you'll live just as long as someone who's in a happy marriage, but the reason you have
0: a good relationship with yourself. Exactly.
1: Right. Yeah. And and that's why we we have to take the focus off of marriage because there are plenty of unhealthy marriages out there. There are plenty of, of marriages where people are together for a really long time, but they're really not happy. They're really not close and and connected to each other.
0: Yeah. They're like roommates.
1: Right. And so we have to, you know, take the focus off of, you know, marriage somehow being the magic answer. It's no, it's, it's about, that healthy mental, you know, relationship you have with yourself and, and, and others. Um, You know, it it always makes me laugh now as a therapist, because every now and then you'll see like, I don't know, a television special or a documentary or something about couples who have been together 40, 50, 60 years. And of course the question you know, universally, that they almost ask all these couples is like, "Yeah, what's the secret? You figured it out? How did you do it? How did you last this long?" And, and, and it's funny because if you're really looking closely, and in fact, sometimes you can notice this. Right, go go to a Denny's or some restaurant and and watch the old couples who come in and and sit with each other and eat there. You're going to see some who genuinely. Love each other. You'll see the sparkle in their eyes. They're
0: laughing at each other. They're
1: laughing. They'll tease each other, right? And you just you you see them. You see. You can almost feel
0: the the,
1: the love and the connection that they have with each other. And then you'll see the other, you know, old couples who come in. There isn't a word exchange between them. Maybe they say something about the weather or, oh, hey, look, there's something new on the menu, Marge, you know, and, and and, but it's, but it's just, they just eat in silence, Yeah. right? And they just kind of go through the motions, they wipe their face, they get up, and they walk out the door and go on about their lives. And so a lot of focus is often put on time, you know, and because you've been married this many decades, that you somehow figured it out and that's just not the case you know most couples or i shouldn't say most but there are lots of couples who have been married a really long time and they're not necessarily close and connected to each other and so so there's a lot happening there that we have to be real about and 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 try to figure out okay what's what's going on you know and is this ultimately what we want or what i want or you know and figure that out
0: Yeah. It makes me think of the Robin William quote where he says, there's no, like, I'm going to butcher this, but there's no loneliness quite so lonely as being with people and feeling lonely. Like whenever you're with people and you feel lonely, like that's even lonelier than being by yourself.
1: Right. Yeah. Something along those lines.
0: Yeah. I totally butchered that. Yeah.
1: I'll look it up later, but yeah, it's, it's a, yeah. And and that's a, that's a great example of how loneliness is not just, you know, the idea that if I'm around people, I shouldn't feel lonely. Loneliness is, is not feeling connected, not feeling understood, not feeling heard by other people.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I uh, was listening to Glennon Doyle's podcast yesterday, the we can do hard things. This latest episode, they were talking about kids and connection with kids and their parents. And one of the things they said is when a child is allowed to be, fully themselves and that's encouraged a child learns i'm real and i think that happens in adult relationships too that when we feel seen and heard and really connected to another person um we both have the connection and the ability to be an individual there's something about that that like makes being alive real like it it makes us a real person
1: yeah yeah and it's, yeah. And, and here's the quote by Robin Williams. I used to think the worst thing in life was to end up alone. It's not. The worst thing in life is to end up with people that make you feel all oh. alone.
0: Oh yeah. She so, says it way better than I did.
1: <laughs> but, but I mean, you conveyed the, you know, the basic idea, which is loneliness is not just whether or not I have people around me.
0: <clears> yeah. So earlier you mentioned this idea that we have to have a good relationship with ourselves first Mm -hmm. in order to have a healthy relationship with another person. And I love that idea because I think that's a piece that we often miss. I Mm -hmm. think sometimes we come into relationships doing the Jerry Maguire thing, the you complete me Mm -hmm. crap. Mm -hmm. Um, And so many of the romance movies that we watch have a codependent element to them of I don't know fully who I am, but now that I'm in relationship with you, you complete me. Mm-hmm. I know myself better now, but I think we set ourselves up for codependency when we do that. Mm-hmm. And then we get hurt and then we have a tendency to slingshot to extreme independence. Right. Um because we've been burned so many times in that codependent space. So, can you help us understand why having a healthy relationship with ourselves is so important for creating healthy interdependent relationships?
1: Yeah, well, and, and I think you've already Touched on it there. I think you did a good job explaining that because um, there is this idea that we are incomplete, right? If 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 I if I tell you you complete me, then what I'm also saying is I am incomplete without, without you. you. And we'll sometimes say that to people. You know, you and I used to say that. We used to say I need you in my life, or I would be completely and utterly lost without you, or I would be nothing without you. There, there's these ideas, these phrases that seem to convey that. I'm less of a person I'm I'm not a whole person I'm I'm unable to be happy or or content or any number of things without you or without a partner or without someone you know like that in my life. And so that leads to codependency, right? Cuz then we become desperate. In fact, I I you know, being Mormon, you know, in the past <clears throat> Uh, and if you go to BYU, and 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 maybe this is true of a lot of colleges, but but you know, especially in Mormonism, you're you're encouraged to marry young, and you're encouraged to find that that you know soulmate, and and you know you probably don't hear this as much in Mormon culture, but once upon a time, you were actually considered. Uh, what, like a menace to society or, or like, what was the, the terminology? I can't remember.
0: Yeah. If you're like 20, 25 and unmarried, you're a menace to society. Yeah, it's a like Brigham that. Young quote.
1: Yeah. It was, There's something along those lines, basically, you know, that if you, you know, and, and a lot of women in Mormonism would often feel like an old maid if they were 25 or older and unmarried. Right. And in fact, I I would imagine a lot of men maybe weren't even interested in them, right? Because then they're probably making the assumption there's something wrong with them or they're not marriage material or something. I
0: heard that a lot at BYU, actually, both from women I was rooming with, the fear of being unmarried. I I think the age had moved up to like 27 at the time I was at BYU because you know Brigham Young was a long time ago. But um, there were women who were genuinely terrified about nearing 30 and being unmarried
1: or graduating and not being yes
0: married. <laughs> or graduating and not being married because there was this idea that I'm not a whole person like mm-hmm. I'm not fully an adult thing mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um I'm not I'm not worthy if I'm right. not married yeah
1: right yeah and and well and and especially for women right because you're brainwashed from the very beginning to be a mom, and you can't be a mom unless you're married, because you're not allowed to have sex, you know, outside of marriage. And so, so there's this desperatism that comes to getting married and having a kid, so that you are therefore worthy uh, as a human being. And I, I remember this this Mormon couple I met with, you know, several years ago, and they were they were still just dating, but she was. Oh, I can't even remember. She was 40 or maybe 38 or 39. She'd never been married. And, you know, the guy she was dating, I, th- I think his wife had died, you know, so he- she was going to be his Plural wife, you know, in, in, the, the, in the yeah, in the temple, but but yeah. th- there was like this they'd only been married or dating, I don't know, a couple months at this point, and there and sh- you could just feel the desperateness, you know, coming out of her because that biological clock is ticking. She's never been married. They're they're, you know, she's desperate to want to, you know, have kids, have kids and get married, but but they're also experiencing, um, you know, several difficulties of, you know, with the relationship and trying to get along. And, um, and of course, when you've been single for several decades, you know, then making that transition into married life is a really difficult one. Um, So, and that's, you know, maybe leaning more towards the independent side of the spectrum, but yeah, so there, so I guess bringing it back to what, you know, you're talking about there, there, it's important to have this healthy individual relationship with yourself for, for a number of reasons. Number one, you are less likely to lean into that codependent realm where I think someone else has to fulfill me and make me happy and all those things. And
0: tell me who I am.
1: Right. And yeah, and tell me who I am because that's that's part of when you're on that extreme end of codependence, you have no identity. Yeah. Your identity is wrapped up in the other person and and the idea of us. But It's uh, that's that's where there's a lot of jealousy and accusations of people cheating because you're you're in this codependent realm. And because you're at work eight hours a day, you know, I don't know who you're talking to. And is your coworker cute? And, you know, you're 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 clawing at, you know, details that really are probably irrelevant and and definitely don't really matter. Uh, because you're so desperate to hang on to.
0: You're so that. worried about losing your person that defines who you are.
1: Right.
0: And I find even if there isn't jealousy, there's the like the the clinginess. Clinginess is the word that's coming to mind for me. Like people that need to check in multiple times throughout the day and like need that <laughs> constant um, security that you're still there. Yeah. You're still there. You're yeah. still there. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: And so, yeah, so if you have that healthy relationship with yourself, then you're obviously not so desperate, you know, for someone else to fulfill that in you. And then, of course, that leads to later marital issues and problems, because then that's probably a constant source of conflict and fighting that, hey, you're not... Doing your part, you're not making me happy. You're not showing me how you love me, and all these other things. Not that those aren't obviously important. We still want to be complimented. We still want to be, you know, validated and, and heard. But we aren't reliant on that. Yeah. For our 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 well being.
0: Yeah. When I'm even thinking about earlier in our marriage. I've already told the listeners that we had some codependence happening earlier in our marriage. And I remember, like, particularly when I was in that place where I was getting diagnosed with clinical depression, the codependency, like, from my side was, you know, you were deployed all the time and like needing that constant reassurance. And that wasn't there so much. You weren't there to build me up. And I was kind of left to my own devices. But correct me if I'm wrong. There was a part of you that almost felt like a failure because I had gotten into that dark Clinically, clinically depressed place, there was a part of you that felt like you somehow weren't doing your job well enough.
1: Of course. Yeah, because that that's that's something we're we're led to believe, right? Again, as a provider, that I I need to make you happy, right? Yeah. You know, that that if you're not happy, and that's that's one of the reasons we're sometimes uncomfortable with our spouse's emotions, is that we we almost immediately assume this is somehow my fault or yeah. I'm somehow not following through in my responsibility as your husband or your wife or partner or whatever. And so it's hard not to take it personally that, oh, you're sad. Well, shit, what did I do? You know, how did I drop the ball? You know, oh, you're, you're angry. Well, what what, what did I do? You know, and, 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 and you're scared. Well, what are you scared? I, I, you know, it's, it's, in fact, that's, you know, one of my earliest, you know, big emotional conversations I remember between the two of us is, you you revealed to me one of your deepest fears which which was you were afraid i was going to wake up one day and realize what i had married and run away screaming and uh and and instead of giving you that empathetic compassionate response that you needed you were vulnerable you just shared your heart with me and instead i made it about me right because then i'm like well what I haven't shown you at this point that I'm staying, you know, I haven't proven to you that I'm going to be loyal or that I'm not leaving you or I'm not going to run away. You know,
0: you make it, yourself sound like such an asshole. I, was, I, I I'm, than that, But,
1: but, but I mean, but it's in, in essence, that's basically what I was saying or, or feeling, you know, it's like I was taking it personally because that was my responsibility yeah. to make you happy. Right. You know, one of the, the leaders of the Mormon church back then, you know, said in one of his conference talks, he said that God will count the tears that your wife sheds. And, 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 and so, so think about the responsibility that puts on the guy, you know, to make my wife happy, to keep her, you know, from ever crying or getting sad or all these other things. And, man, it it is so unhealthy on so many levels, you know, and, and, and I guess that's one of the biggest failings of any religion, in my opinion, is that they don't allow you to be human. Yeah. They have this unrealistic, perfect standard that you're supposed to strive for. You're not supposed to feel certain emotions, but guess what? That's part of being human. Yeah. And if we're going to have that healthy relationship with ourselves, and then, be able to have a healthy relationship with another human being, we need to give ourselves some grace. We have to give other people that same grace and compassion, and we have to stop leaning on religion for advice about how to be a healthy human being. It's like leaning on religion for
0: medical uh, advice
1: medical advice or dietary you know stuff and 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 again right nowadays you know a lot of religions like to boast that you know like the mormonism has always boasted about their word of wisdom and how revolutionary that was actually it really wasn't that amazing and that far ahead of its time it was actually reflecting a lot of similar movements during that time but in the long you know run you know, it's funny because a lot of people now, when they look back on the word of wisdom in Mormon history, they're like, "Well, geez, why didn't God tell us to wash our hands more? Why didn't God tell us to
0: boil our water. boil
1: our water?" You know, <laughs> those would have been far more helpful and healthy, you know, in the long run than avoiding "quote unquote" hot drinks. What what it, what does that even mean? You know, and and so on and so forth and so
0: by the way really quick there was a whole episode on mormon discussions if you want to hear more about the word of wisdom and how it really came about um that just happened a few weeks ago fascinating stuff fascinating stuff it was kind of like a turf war between the women of the church and the men of the church particularly emma smith and the men of the church Um, And the hot drinks came about as kind of the men getting back at the women for not wanting them to have tobacco. Just (laughs) super fun information over there. I love church history. There's so much going on. I'm so glad people do that work because um, not my favorite work, but I love hearing about it. So if you're interested in that, go over to Mormon discussions um, either on YouTube or on the podcast and go look up that whole like hour, two hour discussion about how the word of wisdom actually came about. If you're LDS listening to this ex-Mormon and you want to know some of the history about that fascinating stuff, but yeah, let's talk.
1: I'm trying to remember how we got on that subject. I
0: don't remember how we got on. Oh, we were talking about you and me and. Oh yeah. Like- yeah. So,
1: so I was like, oh yeah. Cause I felt responsible for, um, you know, how you were feeling, you know, and the fact that you were scared that I wasn't going to be there for you or that I would figure out who you were. That felt offensive to me because I felt like I was failing. Yeah, I felt like I wasn't doing my job. That if I was a good husband, if I was doing my job, you shouldn't be feeling that because to feel fear is bad, to feel, you know, it says it throughout all scriptures that have ever been written, fear not, you know, and, and, you know, you know, there's this idea that if you feel fear, you're, you're, you're weak, you're less of a person. You're not doing it right. And, and, and yeah, don't, don't, you know, don't feel angry, you know, plenty of, you know, religious, you know, leaders throughout time have always preached against, you know, anger and, and you know uh what was it monson that said school your emotions right you know so Mm -hmm. there's this idea that you're not supposed to feel certain things and and then of course in a relationship sense then i'm going to feel responsible or i'm going to feel at fault that you're feeling this and so again allow ourselves to be human to feel all of the things that's because that's part of what it means to be human and and allow ourselves to learn from that. You know, I, I'm always telling people that emotions are, are like messengers. They're just trying to let us know, Hey, you're feeling something and what's, what's, you know, what's causing this, what's playing into this? Why are you feeling this? So yeah. we can better understand it. And then, you know, when we're talking about an interdependent relationship, you know, a healthy relationship, ideally we need to be able to share those emotions with each other and, and because we've done our individual work and I'm in a more emotionally mature place. I'm not threatened by that, or at least not as much. Right. Because yeah. I think we're always going to feel that to a certain extent of like, well, crap, you know, did, did, did I do this or did I somehow make you feel like I, I you know, you, you can't trust me or that I've hurt you, you know, so, so, so that that's, that's healthy to an extent, right. Cause it shows that we're trying to take responsibility and ownership for my part in this, but that's that's the balance we're striving for. And that's, you know, part of what we're talking about here, right? because because what it boils down to in the end is there's my work, there's your work, and then there's our work.
0: Mm, I like that. Help us break down that really quickly. what how do you tell what's your work? What's the other person's work, and what is the collective work?
1: It's a good question. And I don't think there's always going to be a clear answer. um in a nutshell, I think, the question we should always ask ourselves is how much of this problem or issue that I'm looking at, how much of this is within my control to change?
0: Mm, And then that's my work.
1: And well, it depends what the answer to that question is. So, so how much of this is within my control to, to, to change or to affect. And if the answer is zero or next to none, then yeah, that's probably, you know, that, that, that that's, that's maybe someone else's work uh, to do um or if it's mostly within my control to change or to to do something about then that's probably my work and then of course our work is not so much specific issues but how we interact with one another so our work is almost always going to exist on a interactional level and so you know you know as we've talked about in some of our our other episodes with you know conflict resolution One of us might take on more of a withdrawer role when it comes Mm -hmm. to conflict and the other person might take on more of a pursuing role and and those align with the fight or flight responses that we feel in our head. And so the fighter is going to be more of the pursuer and the withdrawer is going to be more of the, the, the fleer and neither of those is more right or wrong than the other. But that's that's important to understand because then we have to understand how that plays out between us. And so if I know I'm more the withdrawer and you're the pursuer, then the us work that we need to focus on is trying to be sens- Yes, be sensitive to that and meet in the middle as much as possible and know that you're more of that pursuer. So I need to be sensitive to what you need and vice versa.
0: Yeah. Well, and that kind of brings us back to the idea of two individuals creating that third entity, that one plus one equals three, Mm -hmm. which is I learn to listen to my emotions and label them and be able to understand what messages they're giving me. Like I develop emotional intelligence, the ability to sit with my emotions, process them and learn how to communicate them. And together, both of us do that work for ourselves Mm -hmm. and we come to one another To communicate, to actively listen, to create a space of curiosity and non judgment, uh, a place where we're accountable for our part. Um, When someone is telling us how maybe our actions or words have affected them, like we can be accountable and also expect the other person to be accountable. And like we create this sense of, you know, you're safe here. Like I'm not going to share this or triangulate with somebody outside of this relationship. This is, our work to do together, but we we do that from doing our own work and then being able to collaborate together to find a win-win. And I think that's really what's important here is you know, interdependence is going to look different for all of us, depending on what feels like a win-win for both of us, because mm-hmm. there are couples that are withdrawer-withdrawer and couples mm-hmm. that are pursuer-pursuer. And so what we need from each other is going to be different.
1: Right, right.
0: Oh, we're getting into so many good things, but I'm gonna stop the discussion right there for this week because Kevin and I actually talked for another further 45 minutes about interdependence and about how we can begin to create that healthy dynamic in our relationships. And I don't wanna overwhelm you with information. So I thought this was a good place to stop. We've talked about what interdependence is, we've talked about how having a healthy relationship with ourselves helps us begin to build those healthy relationships with others. And there's lots to digest in this 45 minute segment. So thank you so much for joining us. What I want you to do is I would love for our small step forward this week to be, if you will take some time and think about a specific relationship in your life, and ask yourself, what is my work? What is your part of that relationship? What are the things that you can be accountable for and responsible for in the relationship? What parts are within your control? What is their work? What are the things that are outside of your control that only they can work on with regards to your relationship? And then what is our work? What is the work that both of you have to bring to the table in order for this to be a healthy interdependent relationship? You can examine a relationship that's already healthy if you want, or you can look at one that's problematic in your life and help you kind of sort through what is mine, what is theirs and what is ours. And write those things down where you can concretely see them, continue to think about them, and it will help you get a clearer idea of where the work needs to be done in the relationship and what you can do to bring some more equilibrium into your relationship. Also, don't forget, Mormon Palooza is coming up here in just a couple of weeks on October 1st. It's going to be in Salt Lake City. For those of you who are ex Mormon, who are living in Utah, it's going to be so much fun. It's like a really irreverent spin off of a steak youth conference. So, I'm going to be part of the fireside portion of the evening. I'm doing a 50 minute hands-on training about inner child work as a way to heal religious trauma, to get to know yourself and to begin to have that compassion and kindness for yourself, to begin to feel the things your inner wisdom is trying to tell you, so you can begin to really connect with that compass inside of you that will help you navigate faith transition, not only when you first leave the church, but years afterwards. So, I would love to see you there. We're also going to be hearing from Sarah Urquhart from Mormons on Mushrooms. She's actually the creator of Mormon Palooza. So, thank you, Sarah, for inviting me. This is so fantastic. And Lindsay Hanson Park, for those of you who have listened to the Year of Polygamy podcast, you know how incredible she is. Lindsay Hanson Park was also one of the main collaborators and historians um, used for Under the Banner of Heaven, the TV series with Andrew Garfield. And if you haven't watched that, it's so fantastic. So it's going to be so fun. The fireside portion goes for a couple of hours. There's plenty of speakers that you'll get a chance to hear from and workshops that you'll get to go to. And then there's a roadshow So lots of ex-Mormon comedians and musicians and just lots of great entertainment. And then there will be a steak dance afterwards that is disco themed. And Kevin and I will be there. We'd love to see you. We'd love to talk with you. Don't hesitate to come up to us and say, hey, like I know you from the podcast. I'd love to talk with you. I know sometimes it gets a little weird when you've just been listening to someone's voice and you worry that maybe they don't want to talk to you. That's not the case here. If you're coming, get your ticket. Make sure that you come and say hello to Kevin and I um, at this event. We can't wait to see you. Thanks so much for spending your time with me today and I look forward to seeing you as we continue this discussion next week.